All right, so Luke chapter 11, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. I would highly encourage you when you come to church to bring a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, take this one home with you. If you keep forgetting it, shame on you. If you leave it here, shame on you. Yeah, there should be a lot of shame. But Jesus takes that shame. Put your hands up high so they can see them. And turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 37 through 44 this morning. It's on page 915. 44. Really? All right. So let's pray and let's, let's hop right into it. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that we can come to a place, and even as we celebrate this, this holiday this weekend, Lord, the, the freedom that we have. Lord, we thank you for all the people that laid down their lives, Lord, the sacrifices. Lord, help us to not, Lord, forget that. Lord, allow us to, to be mindful of that. Lord, and as a church and as Christians that, um, Lord, if there's anybody who understands what freedom is, it's, it's Christians. And we just thank you for allowing us a physical freedom, but even more importantly, Lord, the, the spiritual freedom that we have in you. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us this morning, Lord, from any, any physical things and, and also spiritual. Lord, that the enemy, with whatever he's doing in the minds of these young people, Lord, as we know that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I pray that the enemy would be pushed back, Lord, that the lies of Satan would be would be broken, that the truth would prevail. Lord, that the, that the kids would know that anything that, is, that Satan is throwing at them is intended to kill them and to harm them. Lord, that it's not true, that it's not right. And Lord, that you'd remind them that you care for them, that you love them, that you value them. Lord, and the truth that you have in your word is real, that it's powerful, Lord, and it sets us free. And Lord, we know that this truth and this light that you have for us means absolutely nothing if we are blind. So I pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, you'd open our hearts, our ears, Lord, that we could, that the light could enter in, Lord, that the light in us would not be darkness. So I just thank you that you are a good God, you're a loving God, you're a gracious God, but you're also a just God. And so I pray you'd be with us this morning as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 44, let's go ahead and read it, and then we will kind of backtrack a little bit. Because uh, we want to see the context of this. Jaden spoke, spoke to us last week um, in regards to Galatians, and uh, it was a great teaching. So, and it, if you didn't know that, that was his very first time teaching to, like, people. Um, and he's done Bible studies, but that was his first time, I guess, in a sense, called preaching. And, uh, and it was awesome. So, Luke chapter 11, verse 37, it says, And as he spoke, speaking of Jesus... A certain Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him, so Jesus rejected him. No. So he went in, and he sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. Now, I'll explain more about that, young men, and uh, don't take advantage of that verse. You still need to wash your hands before you eat. Then the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. 
But woe to you, Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. And so for context's sake, to understand this a little bit better, I want to read verses 33 through 36, which we covered two weeks ago. Jesus says, no one, who has, who, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore when you're, whenever your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. And so if you miss that study, essentially what Jesus is saying, Jesus is the light, right? Like he is the true light. He even proclaims as an I am statement that I am the light, right? He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the light. And it's necessary to have light so that we can see. Otherwise, if there's no light, then there's utter darkness, and in utter darkness, you can't see anything. Is that correct? I mean, that's just a logical you know, statement that we all can understand. But what Jesus is saying is that he is the light. He's not just a representation of the light. He is the light. And he's standing there before these people, and they don't recognize him as the light. And not because the light is turned off or because it's been dimmed or it's too far away and it can't be seen, but he, what he's saying is that the people, they're blind. And when you're blind, you have no concept of light. You know, for us, when we close our eyes, we can still see light. You can see it coming through your eyelids, right? But when you're blind, there is no light whatsoever. doesn't matter how bright the light gets. And that's what Jesus is getting at. It doesn't matter if, if the light was standing right there in front of them. Because they were spiritually blind, they could not see. And if you cannot see, then ultimately light cannot enter and what's inside is dark. Because the light cannot get through. The light is not there. And so he, he warns us, and he warns them in verse 35. He says, take heed, the light which is in you is not darkness. And we live in a world, we live in a time, and it's, you know, even in this time it was relevant, but we live in a world in a time where many people, there's false conversions, there's a false sense of uh, being right with God, there's a, a false sense of being in the light or having the light or knowing the truth and having the truth. And people think that they have the light in them, but they don't. And Jesus warns us, make sure, it's interesting how he phrases this, he says, make sure that the light which is in you is not darkness. So some people think that the light that's in them is actually light and it's bright and it's good and it's just and it's truth. But in reality, Jesus says it's dark because the eye is not good, because they're blind, because they've rejected the truth. And so we get into the same idea as Jesus sits down to dine with this Pharisee, and the Pharisees, as he calls them hypocrites, we see this often throughout the Gospels, calling them hypocrites, and you guys know what a hypocrite is, right? Yeah, I think, I think we all do. It, essentially, the, the, the root of the word is an actor, right? Somebody who, who puts on a mask, somebody who, you know, displays a different character, and it's not who they truly are, right? And so with the Pharisees, they were, they were these pretty obvious hypocrites, and as we read through this, I want us to make sure that we don't start to think of other people and the hypocrites that other people are. And we don't start to think of other people and like, oh yeah, this would be good for them to hear, and this would be, 
good for this guy or this girl to hear or my parents to hear. In reality, what we need to look at is, I need to hear this. Jesus says, you need to take heed that the light in you is not darkness, right? I need to make sure that I'm not this hypocrite, right? That I'm not just being acting out this thing and it's fake. It's not real. And at the end of the day, guys, I want to put it like this. It doesn't matter what people perceive or don't perceive of you. Because I think we all have this drive, and I think it's through the flesh, and we see it with Ecclesiastes when Solomon and all of his wisdom sharing with us that we're so worried about what other people think, right? That at the end of the day, it, 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 Solomon says something like along the lines, you know, after you die, nobody, nobody really even thinks about you anymore, right? So it, who, what people think of us doesn't really matter. It, it really doesn't. But we do so much in this world, in this life, so that people have a certain perception or the perception that we want for them to have on us, especially for us as Christians. You know, we want people to think that we are holier or that we are more spiritual or that we're more mature when in actuality, on the outside, we might be deceiving everyone else, which gets us and profits us nothing, right? Jesus says you can gain the whole world but lose your soul, right? He says many will, will say with their lips and honor me with their lips, but with their hearts, they, they, they don't, you know? And so we got to make sure that we're not those people. It's not to say that the outside of us, the outside parts of us, you know, the things that are visible to people, you know, doesn't mean that, like, we shouldn't be doing those things, but it for, should first stem from us wanting to honor God and obey God and love God and not the other way around where we want to honor people and obey people and love people because we want their whatever it is we want from people. And so at the end of the day, you know, I don't, I don't really care what people think of me. I care what, what God thinks. So there's this idea that men can be devout before they are converted. And it's, it's a great trick that Satan has for many of us, that we can be devout before we are saved, before we're transformed, before God cleanses us from the inside out. We like to do it the other way around. And we like to think, as we do all these religious things, and we do all these you know, things that we think honor God, but in actuality don't because our hearts are far from him. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says, or, or Samuel says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? And, and many times we, we get distracted with that. We, we look at, and this is kind of off topic, but we look at things on the outward appearance such as, you know, skill and intellect and savvy, you know, especially when it comes to like, like teachers. You know, we, we want the ones that, you know, keep my attention and, and I don't know. There's so many different things. But in, in the end, what's more important, especially for a teacher, is, is their heart. Are they walking a, 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 in, in good conduct? Are they walking in the spirit, right? Are, are, are they doing that? And then hopefully, by doing so, then the Holy Spirit can teach through them. But again, we're so worried about the outward appearance, and we forget that God really looks at our heart. And that's a good thing for all of us, that, that God looks at our heart, because some of us aren't very skilled. Some of us aren't very far from God, right? That God cares about the heart, and we need to care about the heart. We need to care about our hearts and where they're at. And so David, he, he pens this perfectly in Psalm 139 and verses 23 through 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And there's always something that's in us 
that God can transform. There's always something in us that, that God needs to cleanse, but sometimes we can be blind to it. Sometimes our own heart can deceive us. And so David writes this and prays this, and he's appealing to God for God to search his heart and to reveal the things in him that, are, that is wicked, that's dark, right? Because David cares more about the heart than he does the exterior, right? It, it was more important that his heart was right with God than for him to be the king of Israel and leading millions of people. It meant nothing to him if he wasn't right with God. And so that's something for you and I to be aware of as we read through this. And Jesus gives us all these woes unto the Pharisees and for us not to think that we're any better than the Pharisees here. And A.W. Tozer, he says the problem with the Pharisees is, is this. He says, A Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself, but a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. And many times we like to think of others and their issues and their problems rather than focusing on our own first and getting that right with the Lord. And that's a spiritual man. That's a mature man. So Jesus, as he's speaking, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so Jesus went in and he sat with him. The Pharisees, as we see, and we talked about a bunch of hypocrites, the thing was is they were... They were so devout, right? They, they did things to a T, per se. They did things so hardcore. They knew the law. They knew that it was preeminent, and they took it extremely seriously. They knew Scripture probably better than any of us, right? But they also started to take Scripture further than it was intended to go. And they started to create, in a sense, their own Scripture. They would start to come up with their own laws and their own traditions and their own commands, that superseded God's. And even if it didn't supersede God, we don't need to add to the law. We don't need to add to Scripture. It's sufficient in and of itself, right? And it comes from a perfect and holy and just God. I don't need anything from a man, right? I don't, I don't need anything from a man. And so they developed this system where they had to obey the commands of the law. And usually their obedience, if it wasn't to the law itself, it was to the interpretation that they had for the law. And so as we read through this, again, we need to be careful that we don't just say, oh, those Pharisees, but to remind ourselves that we have a lot in common with them. So I'm going to ask you these questions. You don't have to answer them, but just answer them in your mind. Which of these statements would you say you believe in? Just yes or no statements. The entire Bible is inspired by God. God has the power to perform miracles. Angels exist. There will be a resurrection one day where all people come back and God will judge them. Heaven is a real place. I can go on. But it, hopefully you said yes to all those statements. The Pharisees would also say yes. So we're not too different when it comes to us and the Pharisees. It's what we believe and it's what they believed. But those of us who have been, you know, are Christians, we've been Christians for a while, we can run the risk of becoming just like the Pharisees, especially for you guys in your age when you grow up within the church. Sometimes that's a really hard thing to do because you just figure out the, the ebbs and the flows and the nuances of it. You, it becomes more of a, of a religion. And especially if, if, your parent, if your parents are the ones that are kind of drawing you and forcing you to church, right? Now, I love that. I wish more parents would force their kids to go to church. But that's where when kids, when they come to church, when you young people come to church, you need to realize 
that your relationship is between you and God. That when you stand before God one day, it's going to be you and you alone. Even if you get married one day, when my wife and I, we will stand separately. We're individual people. You know, we are unified as a couple here on earth through the covenant that God's created through marriage. But at the end of the day, I have to stand and take account for my own sins, right? And I will either be justified by, by Jesus on the cross because I put my faith in him, or I will be judged by my sins and, the, and I'll be condemned, right? So it's, it's an individual thing. It's, it's, it's individual. And so we run that risk of growing up in the church and things just becoming this tradition, right? And that's where we need to be very careful, you know? And all the things that we do aren't necessarily bad, right? Like coming to church is a good thing, right? Reading your Bible is a good thing. Worshiping is a good thing. Doing missions work is a good thing. Serving in the children's ministry is a good thing. Those, those aren't bad things. And those can be, you know, proof or evidence of someone who is truly walking with God, right? And whose heart is right with God, but I want to make sure that we don't deceive ourselves in thinking just because we're doing those things that my heart is right with God, right? And that I'm not just doing them, but I'm, I'm missing the good thing. Remember with Martha and Mary? I always mix up the two, so help me if I mess this up. One of them was going around busy and cleaning and preparing the home for Jesus, and the other one was sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his words, right? You remember that? And then the one who was busy cleaning was like, hey, it's not fair. My sister's not helping me, right? And Jesus says, you know, don't worry about that. That's good. Those things are good. But he says, Jesus said, you're, you're missing the good part. You're missing the necessary part, which is to sit at Jesus' feet, to be fed, to be, to be cleansed, to be full. And then from that, the overflow of that is to do the things that the other sister was already doing. But we, we can't skip that first step where we're not with Jesus, where we're not at his feet, where we're not reading the word of God and, and, and wanting to get to know him. You know, so we run that risk of becoming just like the Pharisees in the sense, and then all those things that are necessary for us to do, and the things that we should obey in commandments, those become, if, if we're not spending time with Jesus, if our heart is not right, if we're not worshiping, worshiping with the right intent, all those things can become religious, and they, be, they become our own works into our own salva- salvation. They become our own works into our own righteousness our own works into our own cleansing, you know, and that can't be. And I don't want to be judged for my works because they don't stand up to God's standard. So in verse 38, it says, when, so Jesus comes in, he comes to eat with him. Jesus doesn't reject this invitation. And, and one thing I want to point out here is a lot of people will take the things that Jesus does and really hone in on one aspect of it in the sense of, for us as Christians, we should really be out there and, you know, chumming it up with the world. But what Jesus does, and we are in the world, that's for sure, and, and God didn't want to take us out. We are to be the light in the world. We're to share the gospel, so we shouldn't be stuck in Christian bubbles, right? But what Jesus didn't do was he didn't succumb to their sin and their immorality. And when he did dine with them, when he did meet with them, he spoke the truth to them, right? And he spoke it in love. And so many, what many people, the misconception is, well, you need to be bros with these people before you can share the gospel. Well, that's, that's not truly the case. But we're also not to neglect them in the sense of we can never be around them. But we need to be mindful that we don't become one of them in the sense that 
we don't start doing the things that they're doing that is immoral, that is wrong, that is dark, that is wicked. Because here's the thing, too. The more time we spend with people that are like that, the more that we become like them, right? Good company or bad company corrupts good morals, right? That's a Bible verse. And so that's why it's important for us to be, if you guys have AirPods in, can you take them out, please? So that's why it's important for us to be, you know, in fellowship, but again, not to be taken out outside, out of the world. So when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. Now with my kids, we make our kids wash their hands before we have dinner every time, right? Because they're picking their nose, they're playing in dirt, you know, they're doing, I don't know what. And I don't, I don't know what they're touching, so I'm like, you need to go wash your hands. But why do we do that? Yeah, because you don't want to eat booger residue, right? And you don't want germs in your body, so you wash your hands. Are you guys, are you guys awake? You guys okay? I'm okay. All right, thank you. What they would do is they would take this so far, and so Jesus doesn't wash his hands, but it wasn't in the sense of washing his hands to, to take off any dirt or grime that had got on him. What the Pharisees did was they, they created this tradition that they were to constantly wash their hands, and it wasn't to get rid of germs, but it was to take away any defilement. It was, it was an act of spiritual cleansing, not, not a physical cleansing. And Jesus is like... You know, he, he doesn't do it on purpose, right? And he, do, he doesn't do it because he knows that it's going to spark some type of reaction. This guy is in amazement. He's marveled that Jesus doesn't wash his hands. And they would do it in such a way that was, it was so weird. They would, like, they would take little things of water, and they would pour it over their hands and make sure it got all over the hands. And then they would do it again from palm to fingertip and fingertip to palm. And it was just this spiritual act of cleansing, right? Didn't really involve soap or scrubbing, but it was really just dribbling some water. It's kind of like, you know, like the holy water, right? You got this holy water when in actuality it's just, you know, like Dasani or something. And so this is, this is Jesus' response in another gospel. If you turn to Mark chapter 7 really quick, because this will help us out a little bit in understanding this. So if Jesus doesn't do what their tradition teaches them to do, to make them clean, then we know that that tradition that they came up with was not right, correct? Because Jesus was perfect, and Jesus is the law, right? He is the Word of God. So it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, sorry, this is going to be really long, so bear with me, verse 20, through verse 23, it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. At the end of the day, who cares about the tradition of the elders, right? I don't care about anybody's tradition, whether it comes from these elders, Pastor Kevin, or someone else. Because the Word of God is preeminent. The Word of God has the authority. Anything else that is added to it means absolutely nothing. If you want to wash your hands in a special way, by all means, you go do that. I, I really don't care. It's not going to make you any closer to God, right? So, uh, where were we? Verse 4, when they, when, they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And now this might like seem like new to you, like this is not something that you've ever had to deal with, because thankfully, and I'm not going to say our church is perfect, but there's, a, there's some things that happen in other churches that don't happen here, right? And so I've seen plenty of times where many churches will have these same types of traditions that just go way too far and mean absolutely nothing. And so Jesus answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it was written? This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And dude, that's, that's brutal right there. And many such things you do. And when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in context, this is about like germs and pork and whatever it may be. They're thinking that if they don't wash their hands, they'll be defiled in a spiritual sense, that they'll be gross, that they, they won't be cleansed. This is not talking about, you know, allowing something to enter you know, your mind and it not defiling you. That, like thinking that, you know, watching pornography, this is, if, if I use that here and I use that in, in this little bit of scripture and think, you know, well, if it's entering from the outside and it comes in, that, that's not defiling me. No, that's not the case here. This is out of context. That will defile you. There's many things that can defile us that come from the outside. But in context, this had to do with food. This had to do with that type of cleansing. And so the Pharisees, they, again, they came up with this tradition to wash their hands and to cleanse themselves. But here's the thing, guys. We, we cannot cleanse ourselves. Who cleans us? God, the only one that can spiritually cleanse us, right? 1 John 1, 9. If you, if you, if you what is it? Oh, my gosh, help me out. Somebody say it real quick, the first part. If you confess your sins... He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Thank you, right? So he cleanses us, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful to do that. Thank you, Ricky. So we can't do that. But then Jesus, the night before he's crucified, he starts cleaning the, the disciples' feet, right? Remember this whole story. And he tells Peter that you, you've been cleansed already. Only Jesus can cleanse, right? He cleansed his whole body. Peter's like, wash my whole body. He's like, look, you've already been cleansed once. I don't need to clean your whole body. You don't need to be saved again. Right? But you do stumble and you do fall, and so your feet need to be cleansed. Right? But who does that? Jesus does it. Jesus is the one that went around washing their feet. And he says, if you don't, if I don't, if you don't let me do that, you have no part with me. Which means that there is, no, there is no relationship, there is no intimacy, because sin has gotten in the way, which is what makes us dirty. And sin is what separates us, 
It does not mean we, can lose, we lose salvation, but it separates our relationship and our intimacy with Jesus. Until the moment that we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what brings us unified again. But again, Jesus is the only one that can cleanse us. Well, the Pharisees thought that they could be the ones that cleanse themselves. But what they're doing is they're just making themselves more dirty and just giving them a misconception that they're cleansed when in reality, they're dirty. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, or it goes on to say, when he had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that, whoever, that whatever ent- enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And there we get the context that this is about food. You know, they would abstain from pork or, or whatever it may be because they thought it would defile them. Jesus is like, dude, no, I, I provided for you. Like, it's bacon. Eat it. It's, it's not good for you, but it tastes good, right? And then it turns into what it turns into when it's eliminated, right? But that's not what defiles you spiritually. What's more important is what's in the heart. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And he says, that comes from the heart. And Jesus is the only one that can change that heart. Jesus is the only one that can heal and cleanse that heart so that when, when things do come from the heart, when things do proceed out of our mouth, when things do come from our actions, it comes from something that has already been cleansed, and it's only by Jesus Christ. And so, let's go to verse 39 back in Luke. So Jesus said to him, so the Lord said to him, Now you, Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Again, their only concern was what was on the outside, not on the inside. And Jesus gives a perfect analogy of why that is absolutely ludicrous. When we're so focused on what people can see rather than what God can see. And ultimately, when God changes what only God can see, the outside will also follow that. It, it will follow suit. And it will come naturally. And you don't have to worry about what you do or do not do in a sense. There's a story of a pastor who was asked to dinner by one of the ladies in his church, and the pastor knew that she was not a very good housekeeper. And so when he sat down at the table, he noticed that the dishes were the dirtiest that he had ever seen in his life. Oh gosh, I would have left because I cannot. He said, were these dishes ever washed? He asked his hostess, running his fingers over the grit and the grime. And she replied, they're as clean as soap and water could get them. He felt a bit apprehensive, but blessed the food anyway and started eating. It was really delicious, and he said so, despite the dirty dishes. And when the dinner was over, the hostess took the dishes outside and yelled, Here's soap! Here water! That's her dogs, if you didn't get that. But imagine that. Like, again, Jesus speaks logically why the inside is more vital than the outside, right? So, would you rather, you go to eat a bowl of cereal, would you rather have a dirty bowl on the outside and clean on the inside, or a dirty bowl on the inside and clean on the outside? Did I just say the same thing? Okay. So logically, we would all say we would rather have the one that's clean on the inside, right? Now, here's the thing. Like, that's not even the analogy. The analogy is if the inside's clean, then the outside's going to be clean too, right? But again, the inside is more important. Jesus says, 
again, that we need to focus on the heart, that we need to see the heart, that, that we want God to, to search our heart and to show us if there's any wicked way in us, that we need to focus on that rather than trying to, you know, have this perception uh, that, that we want for people to have on us. And so, again, we got to look back at verse 35 where Jesus says, Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Matthew 23, 25-28 says this, and it's, it's almost word for word exactly what we read here. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I mean, dude, Jesus dropped a bomb on them. And really, again, as we search the scriptures, and as the Holy Spirit is convicting us and revealing things to us, you know, are we allowing God to illuminate the darkness that's in our hearts so that we can allow God to cleanse it? Because God is a gentleman, right? He respects us, and so he will not force himself upon us and force himself to do anything that we don't allow him to do. And so if, that's why David says, search my heart and, and, and expose these things that are in me. And when they're exposed, again, the fact that we have the opportunity for God to cleanse us, it, it seems so unfair. It's because it's so merciful, it's so gracious of our God. Because he doesn't want us to be dead in our sin and our trespasses, he wants to make us alive and new and whole, and healthy. But again, it all starts from the inside. In verse 40, back in Luke, he says, Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Again, God wants to start on the inside, and it follows on the outside. And God knows that if you will allow him to clean up the inside, that the outside will take care of itself. He says in verse 41, but rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. Jesus is saying if you want to cleanse the inside of the dish, right, this metaphor of, of our inner man, then give food from, the in, from inside that dish to those who are hungry, right? Or, or even more than that, because the, the root word here of alms is more than just giving food, but, but mercy, right? And it's so hard to give food and clean food to someone when, when you're not clean yourself and you have no food yourself. And it's really hard to give someone mercy when you yourself have not received mercy, right? But that's important for us is to receive that mercy and to receive the cleansing of God so we can do these things. And Jesus says these things are important. And so what he's saying to the Pharisees here is that he's revealing their selfishness, their greed, their neglect in showing mercy, it goes on in verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so what Jesus is saying here, this is important that we get this, he's not saying that they should stop tithing. Right? What are they tithing here? Mint, rue, other herbs. But he's sharing with them that they should tithe, but there should be also more than just the tithing. Because they use that tithing as a way for people to recognize 
how great they were and how much they tithed. And they were meticulous in how they did it. And they wanted to be recognized. And there's a wrong way to, to give to God, right? Whether it's financially, which is we're called to do, but we can also give God many other things, right? But there's a wrong way to do it. It's, it's interesting in Christianity that more than the act itself is the intent of the act, right? More than actually giving, God cares about the heart and the reason and the intent behind giving, right? He doesn't want, to, want you to just give grudgingly, knowing that God asked you to do it, and you're like, oh, fine, I'll do it. God, at the end of the day, would slap that out of your hand and be like, I don't care about that, right? He doesn't need your junk, <laughs> right? He doesn't need your trash. He wants it, and he wants to use it so he can use it for his kingdom, and he wants you to do it with the right heart, but he doesn't need it, in a sense, right? He's God, but he wants us to play a part in his kingdom, and that's one of the ways to do it, and he wants us to have the right heart when we do it, and one of the greatest uh, sections in scripture in regards to tithing is in Exodus 35, and you guys can read that on your own time. I don't have time to go through it because we're running out of time, but Exodus 35 uh, God commands this, and, and then Moses speaks to the children of Israel to, to tithe and to give offerings so that they could use those offerings to build the tabernacle, right? It was a blessing to all the people. The tabernacle was, was useful to all the people. And what we find out was there was no coercion, there was no, you know, coaxing, there was no, you know, guilt, there was no shaming, there was no passing of, you know, the plate. He said, he, he dismissed everyone, and he told them, you can come back whenever you feel like it which allowed people to do it of their own accord. They didn't do it when they were all congregated and they felt the pressure to do it because everyone's watching or they just got you know, convinced to do it. They had to come back of their own accord, so it was their own heart, their own will. And when they gave, they gave with a willing heart. And they gave what they had. Some gave gold and some gave, gave goat's hair. Right? Both are, you know, are extremely different, but both necessary for what was, what was needed. Right? So some may give... $100, some may give $1. Both go towards the kingdom and advancing the kingdom, right? And both go towards, you know, usefulness for the entirety of the church. And so read that on your own time. It's really interesting. Uh, Moses does it a really great way. Even when they were done, when, when they had enough for what they needed to build the tabernacle, Moses stopped them from giving, right? But easily what he could have done was, oh, well, now we're, in the, we're, we're profiting, Right Now this is going straight into my pocket. Nobody's going to know the difference because we're still going to have the tabernacle. But we, we just see how, how good of a man Moses was in this sense. So tithing is necessary. And that's not what, what so much that, that Jesus is getting at. But he does want us to tithe with the right heart. And we see here that the Pharisees are not tithing with the right heart. So he doesn't want them to not tithe. He wants them to, as they tithe, do it the right way. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one of us, each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is a beautiful and wonderful way to worship Jesus. And it comes from a cheerful and, and giving heart. You know, I think as you get older, as a kid, you, you love to receive stuff, right? And then when you get older, it kind of transitions to where you love to, like, provide and give things. You know, you want to bless people with, with gifts and such. You know, God's the one that, that does that transformation in our hearts. But he says this, you know, what needs to be coupled with that giving and giving with the right heart is justice and the love of God. They neglected this while they paid so much attention to their tithing that there was, there was no 
They weren't doing anything in regards to the justice of God and for the people that needed justice and for the love of God, right? Whether that was them loving God or loving others because they first loved God. There was nothing there. And so Jesus, again, here is, is contrasting the inner versus the outer. The inner being, you know, loving the justice and the love of God compared to just only tithing, you know, to be right with God or, you know, to receive blessing from God or to receive recognition from people who see you tithing. And so they concentrated again on the outer instead of the inner. And he goes on to say in verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. And so he accuses them of this, this public honor. And this still goes on today. People think that, you know, the pastor is the one that gets the respect and the recognition, and, and they want that. And, and in reality, and I'll tell you this, to be a pastor, it's got to be the worst job in the world. <laughs> I mean, it's great. God, God does a calling, and God equips these men. But it's not what our flesh thinks it is, that it's all recognition. And, and what happens, you've got to understand, too, is that that man, if he's truly walking with God— doesn't exhibit authority over people and taking advantage of them and doesn't care about the accolades and all these things that, that men can give because at the end of the day, it, it means absolutely nothing. What a, what a shepherd should do is to respect and honor God. And so these Pharisees, they wanted to be recognized by people in whatever aspect that was, but, but specifically here, Jesus says, by sitting uh, in the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Matthew 6, 1 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then we get that whole bickering between the disciples about who's going to be sitting on the left hand and the right hand side of Jesus. right? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be in that position? And Jesus just you know, swiftly tears them down and says, Look, man, it's, it's, it's not about that type of recognition. What it's about is becoming a servant. right? And there is no recognition and being a servant of God amongst people. There's no recognition. And that's okay, because that's not the way we do it. Because at the end of the day, you know, not, not that I want you to say, like, mean things to me, like, <laughs> you know, but man's word only goes so far. And so Jesus says, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Like, he was the example of that. He goes on in verse 44. And this is where we'll close. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So one of their, their traditions was if you, if you touched anything that was dead, right, if you touched anything that was touching the dead person, you would then be considered unclean, right? And so they had this, this ritual for purity uh, to avoid, you know, touching dead things so they wouldn't be defiled, so they wouldn't be um, unclean. But what Jesus is saying here is that they are like graves which are not seen. The Pharisees themselves are like graves which are not seen. In a sense that if somebody walked over a grave and not seeing it, they would accidentally touching it, making them defiled. And he's likening the Pharisees unto that. That many people walk over them and they're not aware of them. That many people you know, are, are, are listening to these teachings and these practices and seeing and partaking, unaware of their, their defilement from the Pharisees who they themselves are defiled, but not knowing it because they think they're clean because they've done all these religious and spiritual things. So Jesus gives this very strong condemnation against the Pharisees to end it here and, and, and to invert that, 
in saying that the Pharisees are the ones that are defiling people because they themselves are unclean. The opposite to that is what Jesus does, right? When, When we're around Jesus, he has the opposite effect. He cleanses us. He cleans us, right? We are not defiled. We are undefiled. You know, I think of just the faith that the woman with the issue of blood had, just going and touching Jesus' garment and being healed. The power, the cleansing that Jesus himself has. But again, it comes from this relationship and this intimacy with God. It comes with allowing him to search our hearts and, and to confess our sins and repent of our sins, put our faith in him, right? We are saved by grace through what? Faith. Not rituals, not traditions, not you know, religious commandments, but it's through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and putting our faith in him. And by doing so, we repent of our sins. We turn from them, right? Because God's made us a new creation. We no longer walk in the darkness, but we walk in light. And by walking in light, we so happen to obey the commandments of God, right? And the commandments of God are not burdensome. And the commandments of God, if we obey them, reveal to God that we love him. And it reveals to us that we love him. Because he says, if you love me, do what? Obey my commandments, right? But, but don't just, don't obey his commandments to think that that's how you receive love. Or that's, you know, like, how do I explain this? I think you get the point. We love God. We put our faith in him. And then these things follow. Focus on the inside more so than the outside. The outside will always follow the inside. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for just your time and your word. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who has the capability and the power and the authority to make us new. Lord, I, I pray for any kid in here this morning that, that feels dirty, that feels undefiled. Lord, that they know in their heart that they have done wrong. Lord, that they have sinned against you. And Lord, maybe it's something that they feel like they, they continually keep doing. Lord, we know through the, your power that you can set us free. And Lord, I pray for a humble heart for those students. I pray for hearts that, that truly want to repent and to turn away from their wickedness. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has stumbled, that has fallen, Lord, that has, has gone off the path, Lord, that just needs their feet cleansed, Lord, I pray that you would wash them. Lord, that they would turn to you and seek that cleansing. And Lord, reveal as, as we go throughout our week anything that's in us that's not of you. As David said, to, to search our hearts. Lord, you tell us that, David says, how can a young man cleanse his way? And he says, by taking heed according to your word. By writing the word and, and knowing the word and, and having the word written on our heart and obeying it. So Lord, let us not be ignorant of that, but to know that that is a way for you to cleanse us and for us to be right with you. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.